0: This is Chris Brooks. Thank you for listening to this edition of Equip. Be sure and subscribe for free so that you don't miss an episode. For more information, visit our website, equipradio.org. Well, hey there, friends. Welcome to another exciting edition of Equip with Chris Brooks. I am so thrilled that you've joined us today. Can you do me a favor? Strap on your seatbelt. We're gonna navigate through the contours of culture, as always with a lens of the biblical worldview on. But before we do that, let me remind you, this is the day that the Lord has made. He has given it as a gift so that you and I can rejoice and be glad in it. So let's do just that. Let's follow the words of the Apostle Paul. Let's rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. As always, it's our endeavor, our passion to serve you well. And part of serving you well in in particular in an election year like we are in right now, is to talk about the big issues that are shaping our culture. It's talking about those issues that some would call hot-button issues that are certainly the focal point of a national discussion. And one of those issues is our topic for today. I'm going to get to that in just a moment. But I want to say thank you for your tremendous generosity. You know, when we started out this week, I share with you we are about $3,000 away from our budgeted goal for this month. And uh, we had a few days to get there. Today being the last day of the month, uh, we have made tremendous progress. When I woke up this morning and checked, we were only about $1,000 away from our budgeted goal, which is highly achievable. And uh, I wanna say thank you. So today, there's a number of different ways we can get to that goal. Maybe 10 friends can give a gift of $100 a piece, or maybe you've been blessed in a way where you can give a $500 gift, or maybe even a $1,000 gift. However the Lord moves upon your heart, I would love for us to be able to finish this day with a testimony that uh, God supplied the need. And as you guys know, we're going to continue to proclaim the gospel, stand for truth, push back to darkness, and equip you to more effectively live, share, and defend your faith as we celebrate the grace and goodness of the gospel in our lives and share that with our family, friends, and loved ones. But we do need your financial support today. This is the last day of the month, so can you call? Now, I wanna make sure I'm I'm clear that all gifts are such a huge blessing We are so grateful. Obviously, I'll I'll give suggestions at times, but we're so grateful for uh, whatever you can do to support the program. And the vast majority of the resources that we distribute, there is no minimum dollar amount that has to be given for folks to receive it. We try to be as generous as possible to resource as many people as possible. This program is reaching people throughout the U.S., into Canada, and and abroad. And so can you call today, 888-644-4144. That's 888-644-4144, proclaiming that Jesus is Lord, that the gospel is true, that the Bible is God's word. If these things are important to you, give us a call today, 888-644-4144, or go to equipradio.org. I promise to keep you posted. Today, I want to take up a very important dis- uh, discussion surrounding abortion, but not just surrounding abortion, but on December 13th of last year, the U.S. Supreme Court announced that it was going to hear a case to challenge the FDA's action to remove some common-sense safeguards for women and girls who uh, take chemical abortive drugs. And I want to talk about that today today. Because I believe it is one of the most significant threats to the safety and well-being of women and girls in our country today. I think there's a lot of misinformation that's out there, and I want to serve you well. And, uh, and not only that, as a father of three daughters, I want to make sure that we don't get buy into the lie that abortion somehow is health care, and that chemical abortions are somehow safe for uh, women and girls. So today I have two guests that are going to help me to navigate through this discussion. First is uh, Eric Baptist. Eric serves as senior counsel at Alliance Defending Freedom, focused on administrative litigation and regulatory Advocacy. Eric is an active member of the uh, DC bar and is admitted to practice before the U.S. Supreme Court. He's with us today. Eric, how are you, brother? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. I'm so grateful for you being with me. I'm also grateful for uh, our next guest, someone who I deeply admire, Dr. Christina. Francis. Uh, she is a friend of the program. She's been on before. She's a board certified OBGYN who currently practices in Fort Way, Indiana. She's the CEO as well of the American Association of Pro Life OBGYNs. She's also an associate scholar with the Charlotte Logier Institute. She's a board member of the Indiana Right to Life and a physician member of the Abortion Pill Reversal Network. She also served for three years in rural hospitals uh, in Kenya, to be able to serve there. Dr. Francis, how are you?
1: I'm wonderful, Chris. Thanks so much for having me back. It's great to be with you today.
0: Anytime the Supreme Court announces they're gonna hear a case, it's a big deal. And this is certainly a big deal. Eric, I'm gonna start with you. Give us an overview of the basis of your case, against the FDA, and why it's so significant that the Supreme Court is hearing this case.
2: ADF filed this lawsuit back in November of 2022 on behalf of four national medical associations and four individual doctors. Mm. And collectively, these associations, their doctors, and these individual doctors have cared and treated for countless women and girls who have been harmed by abortion drugs. We are standing up to the FDA and its reckless actions that have put women's lives and health in jeopardy based on their, the, the abortion drug regimen that the FDA has approved. In particular, we've won at the district court, we've won at the court of appeals, and now we're at the Supreme Court. And what is the issue at the Supreme Court is the removal of common sense safety standards that the FDA once deemed necessary for these drugs. And what does that mean in reality? It means the ongoing care of a licensed physician to care for a woman before she takes these drugs and through the end to ensure she has no life-threatening complications. What the FDA has done in recent years is systematically remove each of these safety standards where now a young girl can be left alone in her dorm room or a parent's house without any medical attention or supervision and take these drugs all alone without any ability Mm. to understand what she's going through to be properly counseled and screened before taking these drugs and then no follow-up care either. And we're trying to restore that and protect women and girls because you mentioned one thing about the the lie and the lie that the FDA and its advocates in the abortion industry have told is that this drug is safer than Tylenol. Well, I'll tell you, FDA's own label for abortion drugs says one in 25 women will end up in the emergency room. One in 25 people don't end up in the emergency room after taking Tylenol.
0: Yeah, I appreciate you bringing the light to this and we're going to continue to talk about uh, the areas of misinformation that really have plagued this entire discussion and misled many uh, throughout the American public. Let's, Let's go to Dr. Francis. Dr. Francis, give us a sense of what percentage of abortions are chemical abortions and give us a sense of the rise that has happened, kind of the trajectory over the last uh, five, six years in chemical abortions?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, it is uh, now the most common uh, method that is used for induced abortion here in the U.S. So the most recent official numbers that we have from the Guttmacher Institute, which uh, are a couple of years old now, said that 54% of abortions are occurring via these drugs. but. I will tell you, you know, I think current estimates when you talk to people who are are seeing women who are taking these drugs and uh, and estimating where we're likely at now is that we're likely closer to 60 to 70 percent uh, of wow. abortions are being done via these drugs. And and as Eric allu- said, and, and as you said as well, you know, I think a big part of that is this great lie that is being told to women that these are safe drugs, I think you know, it's it's normal for people to to just inherently think that a drug must be safer than, than surgery. And so, you know, I think that they believe this lie that they hear that, that this drug is very safe and that there are minimal complications associated with it when we know that not to be the case. Certainly those of us that are in practice and, and seeing women as they come into the emergency room with complications related to these drugs, know that that's not the case. But also, as Eric said, even the FDA's own label says that one in 25 of these women will show up in the emergency room due to complications related to these drugs. And these drugs, the mifepristone in particular, the first of the two drugs that that women take as part of this process, still has a black box warning attached to it. And there's certainly no black box warning attached to Tylenol. Um, So these are not safe drugs. And the other thing I think that's very interesting when you look at the data you look at the increase in incidence of of these drugs being used for abortions, um, they really started to increase in frequency after 2016, which is when, um, you know, one of the first major changes was made, uh, removing many of the safeguards when the FDA did their first removal of many of these safeguards was in 2016. And then it was after that that we saw that we see the incidence really start to increase. And so, Um, that's why it's such a significant issue because, you know, if you think about the number of abortions that are happening every year in this country, roughly 900,000. And then you think about, you know, if, if we are at even that 60% mark right now of those, uh, being done with these drugs and then one in 25 of those women showing up in the emergency room, we're not talking about small numbers. We're talking about a lot of women and girls that are being harmed.
0: I mean, even 50% of that number is 450,000 nationally. And you think about the fact that, as Eric mentioned in one example, uh, uh, a teenage young adult uh, in college going online, not seeing a doctor, ordering these drugs, utilizing them, and then experiencing the harm that comes to her body with no required for follow-up or anything Man, you're you're talking about a disastrous situation. And some may think and wonder, well, why is this an important issue for us to to talk about, in particular in the nature of our program where we talk about moral and ethical issues from a biblical worldview perspective? And I'll just simply say this. The Bible tells us that that Jesus came to give us life and that more abundantly. I think the Bible is consistently pro-life throughout and protecting life in the womb. But it also tells us in the book of Proverbs that we're, to, we're supposed to cry out for those who are voiceless, cry out for those who don't have a voice of their own. And that certainly describes the most vulnerable among us, the pre-born. But I think it also can describe a generation of young women who have been misled into thinking that, man, what I'm hearing is the truth, that this is safe, when really it, it, it's not. So I think that this is a moral issue. Now, I'm grateful— that beyond this being a moral issue to have a doctor on with me and Dr. Francis to have a lawyer on with me and uh, and, an attorney Baptist so that we can talk about these things from a legal and medical perspective as well. Eric, my question for you, you alluded to this before. You said, and I don't want to misquote here, but the FDA knows and even anticipates that 5% of women who take these chemical abortive drugs are gonna end up in an ER situation, is that correct?
2: Correct, one in 25 women will end up in the ER, that's on their own label.
0: That's absolutely astounding, uh, that, that they know that this is going to happen and even have anticipated and planned for it. How then do they even mount a case against your case what what is what is going to be their argument uh when this is heard
2: their argument so far has been the fda can do no wrong and they're above reproach especially by our court system but we live in a constitutional republic where there's a balancing of uh, the the various branches of government and so when congress entrusted the fda to be the nation's drug gatekeeper it gave specific instructions of how to review drugs and allow them into the marketplace. And what the FDA did was fail to follow the law, and it's the judiciary's role and responsibility to hold these unlawful federal agency actions accountable. And that's what we've asked the court to do. They've, the Supreme Court has done this time and time again. This is not new, but the FDA thinks they're above reproach, and we're, we're holding them their feet to the fire in this case.
0: All right, Uh, Attorney Baptist, I I will ask that you'll stay with us for an additional segment. There's some more legal questions I want to ask of you. Dr. Francis, please hold tight and stay with us as well, because when we come back, what I'd love to ask you, Dr. Francis, is to give us some examples of how these drugs are harmful to women. What have you seen? What have your colleagues told you? Because I want us to understand that. And then I want to get into, with, with Attorney Baptist, Some of the common sense safeguards that were taken away and why. Friends, I hope this serves you well. And I hope that you're uh, being encouraged as you listen to this to know the truth. Uh, The phone number, 877-548-3675. Or go to equipradio.org. Much more to come. Next up on Equip. Knowing the Bible is essential for a vibrant life in Christ. I want to equip you to live each day grounded in God's Word. That's why I've chosen the book Memorizing Scripture by Glenna Marshall as our impact gift this month. Discover memorization techniques that work for you and learn how to truly meditate on God's Word every day. This book can be yours with a gift of any amount. Simply call 888-644-4144 or visit us at equipradio.org. so thankful for your generosity, friends. We are quickly reaching our goal. We just got a little gap there that we need to close, but thank you to Mercedes from Lake Worth, Florida. Thank you to Tania for your generosity from Florida as well. You guys are awesome, and I'm so grateful for your support. Friends, if we've been a blessing to you, an encouragement to you, if you have grown and been informed through our programs, our guests, and our resources, we would ask that you would stand with us today. Your gift will help us to meet our fiscal responsibilities so that we can have a testimony of both spiritual impact and good financial stewardship. Phone number to support the program is 888-644-4144. I promise to keep you posted of our progress, 888-644-4144 or go to EquipRadio.org. My guest today, Attorney Eric Baptist. He is Senior Counsel for Alliance Defending Freedom. Uh, They are representing several um, doctors as well as organizations in the U.S. Supreme Court case against the FDA, challenging the actions of the FDA. And uh, he's my guest today, as well as Dr. Christina Francis, who is the CEO of the American Association of Pro-Life OBGYN. She also practices medicine in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Uh, Dr. Francis, I I wanted to hear your thoughts on how these drugs can potentially harm women because we can make that statement and it can seem kind of abstract, but you've seen and heard from your colleagues of concrete examples. Can you share?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, we know that these drugs, the two drugs that, that women can take to induce an abortion, mifepristone and misoprostol, have inherent dangers associated with them, uh, you know, known complications. And again, these are listed on the FDA package insert for these drugs. So uh, those risks would include uh, hemorrhage or heavy bleeding, infection, specifically uh, one particular kind of infection that can cause a a sepsis or a blood infection that can be very difficult to diagnose and has caused some of the deaths of women related to these drugs, as well as uh, what's called an incomplete abortion, where the woman doesn't pass either all of the baby or all of the pregnancy-related tissues. And so she has what we call retained tissue that can lead to the need for surgical intervention. And um, so these are inherent dangers uh, to those drugs. But there's also a danger if a woman isn't fully evaluated by a medical professional prior to taking these drugs. One of those dangers is that she wouldn't be screened for uh, what blood type she is. So uh, for people listening who maybe have been pregnant in the past um, or, or have a wife who's been pregnant, um, they probably know that we check women's blood types because if they are an RH negative blood type, then they need to receive a certain, kind, a certain medication called ROGAM in pregnancy to prevent complications to future pregnancies. Well, if women aren't being seen at all by a medical professional and they're RH negative and they take these drugs and have an abortion, there is the potential that they could be what we call sensitized and, and, and have uh, problems in future pregnancies where they might lose future children because of RH disease. The other really significant thing that women are not with, again, with the FDA's reckless actions of removing that medical supervision from women taking these drugs is that they're not being adequately screened for ectopic pregnancy. Ectopic pregnancies, many people probably heard of this, but they are still one of the leading causes of maternal mortality in the first trimester of pregnancy, and that's where the embryo implants somewhere other than the uterine cavity where where it is supposed to be, and um, and that can the most common site would be in the fallopian tube, and that can rupture and cause life threatening bleeding uh, for a woman, and she needs immediate medical attention when that happens. The real danger with this is that the symptoms that a woman experiences when she takes these drugs for an abortion are exactly the same symptoms that she's going to experience if she has a ruptured ectopic pregnancy. And so how is a woman who's never seen a physician, who's never had an ultrasound, how is she supposed to know when she starts having pain and bleeding that that's from a ruptured ectopic pregnancy and not from what she assumes is normal symptoms of her abortion? And so precious moments then are lost when she should be going to seek care. Uh, for that, and that can then lead to loss of her life or or certainly a significant worsening of her outcomes and this is not yes. you know for people listening yeah. that might think that this is rare, the statistics say that it's one in fifty pregnancies, so that's not uncommon, but I can tell you that we are seeing ectopic pregnancies more and more frequently, and you know you asked about uh, one of our members you know for what our members are seeing, we have one member in particular who's taking care of multiple women now just in the last two years who had undiagnosed ectopic pregnancies, took these abortion drugs, and then had significant complications, one of whom required multiple surgeries um, because her ectopic pregnancy went undiagnosed and almost lost her life.
0: Yeah. You know, as someone, when I listen to you, I think about, again, your bio, I read it, your commitment. You've dedicated your whole life to caring for your patients, even going to, rural areas of Kenya, and here you are fighting for the well-being, the care, the health of your patients while the FDA is doing things that knowingly put them in harm's way. I can only imagine the frustration surrounding that, the heartache surrounding that, and I'm grateful for you and the American Association of Pro-Life OBGYN standing on the front line for women and girls in our country. Uh, Attorney Baptist I, I want to ask a twofold question as we close this segment we we continue to refer to the deception and misleading around this by the FDA I, I want you just to highlight one thing and I heard you mention this in another interview is it true that in order to get mefepristone approved the agency had to label pregnancy as an illness is that correct
2: that is absolutely correct
0: yeah, I I, I think yeah. that's important for us. That That's a pretty significant, to me, misleading, isn't
2: it? It's misleading, but it shows how since day one, the FDA has had to bend the law and its regulations to get this drug into the marketplace, and then it continues to do so to remove those safety standards to this day, where, again, they fail to live up to their obligations to the American public, and in particular to women and girls, and to alter the detriment of their health and safety.
0: Uh, h- how would you describe your hopeful outcome? What is, what is the hope and what do you expect uh, the next several months to entail?
2: We hope that the Supreme Court agrees with the lower court's decisions and with our arguments that the FDA unlawfully and recklessly removed these safety standards. That women deserve the ongoing care of a health care professional while she takes these drugs, before she takes drugs, and after taking these drugs, because we've seen the harm that has occurred. Dr. Francis and her colleagues have seen this firsthand in America's hospitals and emergency rooms and this needs to end and we want women to think twice before taking these drugs knowing that these aren't safer than tylenol knowing that one in 25 of them will end up in the hospital based on fda's own data
0: well i i hope that you are successful in that in that fight i think that uh this is a, a huge win that the supreme court is is hearing this case obviously the lower courts have ruled in our favor and And uh, so that gives hope and that gives uh, optimism. But we also recognize that this is a real fight. And um, as a good friend of mine often says, ideas have consequences, bad ideas have victims. And this removal of the safeguards surrounding these chemical abortive drugs and the relabeling of pregnancy as an illness is putting girls and women in harm's way. And uh, Dr. Francis and Attorney Baptist are trying their best to fight against it. And my role in this, I think, for both of you is to just give voice, to put a megaphone in front of you so that more can hear and know what's going on. So let's pray for ADF, Alliance Def- Defending Freedom, and, uh, and for Attorney Baptist as well. Eric, I know you got to run. Dr. Francis is going to stick and stay. Eric, thank you for joining us today on Equip.
2: Thank you very much. Really appreciate our time.
0: Friends, how is it that we've come to a place where it's controversial to say that women and all patients should have the ongoing care of a doctor when taking high-risk pregnant uh, uh, abortive drugs? How is that controversial? We'll talk about how we got to the place we are on the other side of this break. Sick and stay. Much more to come next up on Equip with Chris Brooks. Welcome back to Equip with Chris Brooks. So grateful to be with you today, to have my guests with me. We're going to get back to our discussion. Before we do, I want to say, reset again, that our goal for today financially is to be able to close our budget gap to uh, end this month well uh, in a good fiscal position. Uh, The cost of radio is expensive, but it's a worthy and worthwhile endeavor when you know lives are being changed as is the case with Equip. Now, I asked if uh, 10 friends could consider giving a gift today, uh, maybe a $100 gift, or maybe someone is listening and I can give a $250 gift or a $500 gift, whatever the case may be. When I woke up this morning and checked uh, our spreadsheet, we were about $1,000 away from our goal. And so uh, earlier today, Mercedes from Florida gave and Tania from Florida Gave as well. Can you join Mercedes and Tania and give a gift today? Whatever amount, this is certainly a moment, all hands on deck, because this is the last day of the month. But if you call today, not only will your gift count uh, towards that goal, but we'll also send you a wonderful book called Memorizing Scripture. It really goes over the basics, the benefits, and the blessings of meditating deeply on God's Word, I promise you it will impact your life tremendously. And it's our way of saying thank you for your generosity. So can you call now, 888-644-4144? We're so close to hitting our goal. I need your help, 888-644-4144, or go to equipradio.org, and your generosity helps us to tackle the most important issues of our culture today with relevant and biblical answers that a generation needs to understand why Christ is worth following. So call the number 888-644-4144 or go to equipradio.org. Can you be one of 10 that call now? I'm joined today by Dr. Christina Francis. She is the CEO of the American Association of Pro-Life OBGYNs. Dr. Francis, I I, I just want to start with a a, a basic question, and that is this. Since the Dobbs decision, it seems like the rhetoric around abortion has been more and more that abortion is women's health, that abortion is women's health care. Why is that misleading and even dangerous to say?
1: Yeah, well, you're absolutely right in that uh, there's been a lot of misinformation, uh, specifically medical misinformation, since the Dobbs decision, unfortunately. And, uh, you know, for those of us, the organization that I lead has nearly 7,500 members, and none of us perform induced abortion, which intends the death of our fetal patient in our practice. And yet... We've always been able to provide excellent health care to both of our patients, both mom and baby. And in fact, if you look at national surveys, and it's interesting to point out that these surveys, um, all the ones I'm aware of anyways, were all done pre-Dobbs decision. And um, the most recent one actually uh, surveyed practicing OBGYNs, so not necessarily in academic practice, but private practice, kind of your, your standard OBGYN and asked the question in the last year, have you performed an abortion as part of your medical practice? 93% of them said no. So wow. the vast majority, almost 100%, 93% did not do abortions. I think that's important to point out for two reasons. First of all, if abortion really was an essential part of women's health care, then why would 93% of women's health care professionals not be doing it? I don't know another mm. procedure that is actually essential health care that 93% of OBs don't do. You know, we're all doing C-sections. We're all doing vaginal deliveries. We're all doing, you know, basic care, basic health care for women, and that doesn't include induced abortion. But the other reason that I think it's important to point that out is because prior to Dobbs, all physicians understood what abortion was, is, and what it isn't. Um, And so when they were asked the question, do you perform abortions, Ninety three percent of them said no. Now, all of a sudden, since the Dobbs decision, there's this, I think, induced confusion. um, Mm. There seems to be anyways over what an abortion is. And so that's one of the big things that APLOG has been working on, because many of the major medical organizations that should be providing guidance actually aren't. And so APLOG is stepping in to try and fill that gap. And one of the things that we did to to help with that was produce a glossary of medical terms really defining what is an abortion and what is not an abortion and so i think it's important for people to understand when we talk about induced abortion there is one intent of an induced abortion and that is to end the life of our fetal patient and even the cdc acknowledges that that's part of their definition of abortion the royal college of obgyns which is the uk medical organization for obgyns says that the intent of an abortion is to produce a dead fetus and that the process of the abortion should accomplish that. So that's what abortion is, and that is not a part of essential health care for women.
0: You know, I've read, it feels like, weekly, Dr. Francis stories from uh, major publications that will chronicle what on the surface seems to be a very oppressive and heartbreaking story of a woman in a state that has moved to restrict abortions somehow having to live through this, uh, this pain of having to uh, have the baby or go out of state to have the abortion. Now, I don't ever want to seem insensitive, but one of the stories that I read uh, chronicled uh, a woman whose baby was uh, predicted to have a chromosomal disorder, And they called Mm -hmm. that a non-viable pregnancy and said that uh, to have the baby was to put her in danger, the baby in danger as well. I I have a friend who's really close to me whose baby was born with uh, trisomy 18. That's a chromosomal Mm -hmm. disorder, as you know. And uh, she just celebrated her 10th birthday. Mm -hmm. I do recognize there's there's statistics and probabilities in all of this but but what should we be on guard about when we read these stories?
1: Yeah absolutely well I mean I think that there's a there's a couple different ways that we need to look at this. The first is obviously any any parent any expectant uh, parent who you know goes to oftentimes these are diagnosed you know in the first or second trimester and and goes and has a blood test at their doctor or an ultrasound who hears any you know, bad news or any news that says that maybe their child is, is not gonna be quite as healthy as they were hoping for. Of course, that is such a difficult situation and especially sure. when we're talking sure. about situations where the baby may not survive. Um, that is, as you said, a very tragic situation and, and we believe that those parents need support They need accurate information. They don't need to be told that simply this is a non-viable pregnancy and there's nothing we can do for you other than offer you a termination of pregnancy. Mm. That is an awful choice that no parent should ever be presented with. And when you're presented with that kind of a choice, honestly, it's not all that surprising to me that many parents would choose a termination of pregnancy. If you're being told other than that, there's nothing we can do for you, there's no help we can provide. I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a failure on the part of the medical profession. But the other thing is that these parents should be provided with accurate information. And that accurate information is in a condition where their child very likely is going to pass away. That doesn't change the fact that that's a living human being that has value and infinite worth, and that's their child, and we shouldn't diminish that in any way, no matter how long that child's life is going to be. But the other thing is, as you brought up the case of trisomy eighteen. What we found is actually, shocker, if you provide these children with the same medical care that you would provide for a child without trisomy 18, many of these children are now living into their teens. Yeah, and you know, this yeah. is something that parents and families have had to really fight for, to say, my child is just as deserving of medical care. Now, does it mean that 100% of them are going to survive? No, and I would never want to paint um, an unrealistic picture for a family. But I also know that families deserve, they have the right to make decisions based on accurate information. And unfortunately, yeah. you know, such as the case, I think you're referring to the case out of Texas, you know, that it appears that woman was told her child had no chance of survival, which yes. is not the case at all with trisomy 18. So, yeah, so we believe that, that parents deserve life-affirming care that respects their child's life, but they also deserve accurate information, which many people are not being given. And unfortunately, these tragic circumstances are being used as political volleys right now, really. And um, and you know, we just think our patients deserve so much better than that.
0: Well, when you say just uh, patients deserving deserving the truth, I even think again about uh, some close friends of ours who were never told by their hospital that if they went through with a high-risk pregnancy, as deemed by the hospital, that they would not receive care and support mm. on the other side of the uh, delivery, that the baby would not be supported. And uh, and hospitals should be required to tell patients that in advance. And so there's so many um, fronts in which these conversations and these battles are being fought. And I think that it's really important for folks to know that it's not just religious leaders, pastors, uh, bishops, or other religious leaders that that are fighting these battles. Because some people will say, well, you're just imposing your faith upon us. Well, no, that's why we wanted to have on Dr. Francis to be able to say there's good medicine behind this that this isn't just a moral argument though it is, this is also a medical argument as well. I wanna I wanna take a break. It's our last break of the day, but Dr. Francis, when we come back, I'd love for you to share a little bit about what it means to be a pro life doctor, the challenges that you and those in your association face, because I don't think most of our listeners are aware of how increasingly difficult it is becoming in this country for a doctor like yourself to say, I just want to practice life-giving medicine, I want to care well for my patients, and I don't want to put them or their pre-born baby in danger. So I want to give you an opportunity to talk about that and the incredible work of the American Association of Pro-Life OBGYNs. Friends, Don't go anywhere. I got a good news to give you on the other side of this break, a really exciting update. Dr. Francis is going to be with us as well. Much more to come next up on Equip with Chris Brooks. Friends, I want to take a moment to invite you to our next Equipper webinar coming up tomorrow right after the program. With the spread of Islam, it's crucial that you and I are equipped to think and speak biblically about this religion. And I'll also explain the history and teaching of the Muslim faith. Bring your questions and join the discussion about understanding Islam. Equippers, look for an email from me with the registration details for this free interactive webinar. Now, if you're not an equipper and want to attend, become a monthly partner by calling 888-644-4144 or go online to EquipRadio.org. Welcome back to Equip with Chris Brooks. I told you before we went to break, but I had an exciting update to give you, and here's the exciting update. We hit our goal because of your generosity, and I just want to say thank you for your financial support. I know many of you are praying, and your listenership is a gift enough, but to stand with us financially as well makes such a huge difference. So thank you to Carl from Tennessee uh, that gave also Christy, Sharia, um, from Washington, Christy was from New Hampshire, New Hampshire. Uh, Mary from Ohio, Denise from Indiana, Teresa from Indiana. Uh, so grateful for each and every one of you. We appreciate you, and our promise to you is that we will continue to stand for the gospel, to proclaim the truth of Christ, and do our best to shine the light of God's Word in the midst of a dark, dark moment. And, uh, and, and I'm hopeful that this generation will be a pro-life generation, a pro-Jesus generation most of all. My guest today, Dr. Christina Francis, is with us. Dr. Francis, your organization does so much to not only educate and inform, but also to provide safe haven for pro-life doctors. Talk about what it means to be a pro-life doctor in our current cultural moment.
1: Yeah, well, you know, first off, I have to just have to say that being a, a pro-life physician, especially a pro-life OBGYN, is is consistent with the oath that we took as physicians. I remember um, back in my white coat ceremony when I started medical school, uh, standing up together and, and saying the Hippocratic Oath, and, you know, many people have probably heard of that. It's a 2,000-year-old oath that is the basis of medical ethics, and it specifically recognizes that physicians should not take part in intentionally harming or ending the lives of our patients. And in fact, the original oath expressly forbid abortion for that very reason. So um, I think that it is such a privilege to be able to practice life affirming medicine and and take care of two patients at once when I take care of, of my pregnant patients. And um and so as you said, we're we're here to represent uh, the evidence that supports that position, but also represent the thousands upon thousands of pro-life medical professionals across the country. Um, but it is becoming much more difficult uh, to practice life-affirming medicine. You know, it used to be that certainly not all of our colleagues agreed with us, but we could work together um, respectfully and, you know, acknowledge that we have different views on this subject, but but we could work alongside one another and and care for patients. And it's becoming increasingly more, hostile now to the point where we are not allowed to hold the views that we have about abortion or we're being told that we should get out of medicine. And just a couple examples of that, it's starting early. It's starting with medical students and residents, those that are in training. Um, In 2018, the accrediting body for medical training programs switched their abortion training requirement from being opt-in, which is what it was when I was in training, that if you wanted abortion training, it wasn't a standard part of the training, but it would be provided for you somehow, they switched it from that to opt out. Now, it's a one-word difference, but it makes a world of difference to that trainee that is very vulnerable. So now they're being told that abortion is a standard part of training, and if they don't want to do it, they have to be the ones to be bold enough to say, I know this is standard training, but I want to opt out. And what we know is that, unfortunately, many find it so burdensome to do that because they're going to get the harder rotations or they're going to have to do more work because they didn't want to participate in abortions, um, that many who maybe don't have as strong of convictions are just nervous because these are the people that are directing the course of their career just kind of go along to get along, unfortunately, or yes. they just avoid the field of OBGYN altogether, which we're also being told by many that they are just too afraid to go into wow. OB. Um, and so, one of the things that we are doing as an organization that's coming up soon, we have our national conference at the end of February. And one of the things that we do is our members and other faithful donors donate money to provide scholarships for medical students and residents to be able to come to our national conference. All of their costs are covered. And I just, we're going to have 65 of them at our conference this year. I'm so excited about that. They are the future of our profession. And as I was reading some of their application essays, a common theme over and over again was I wanted to do OBGYN, but I had decided that I couldn't because I was afraid of being forced to do abortions. But once I found out about your organization, you gave me the courage to know that I could do this. And I just wow. don't know of a better endorsement of what it is that we're trying to do than that, that um, because they really are facing an uphill battle. Um, but, you know, we are going to be there with them every step of the way um, because it doesn't end when they get out of training. We've been threatened by our board certification entity that if we speak misinformation about abortion or other essential, quote unquote, essential health care that our board certification could be revoked. So even when we get out into practice, the attempts at intimidation don't end. And so that's why I think it's so important that um, medical professionals understand that they have thousands of colleagues, thousands upon thousands of colleagues that are standing together with them, that we as a professional organization are going to bat for them. And um, you know, for your listeners who maybe aren't medical professionals, what I would ask them to do is to, if they're, if they're seeing a pro-life physician, to please just encourage them, um, yes, thank yes. them for being pro-life, thank them for being courageous. It really does take courage right now in the medical profession to stand for truth and to stand for life, and, um, and it's, yeah. it's very lonely sometimes. And so I would encourage people to encourage their physician if they know that their physician is pro-life to, to stay strong in that position.
0: Well, you're an encouragement to us. To encourage you is a joy and a privilege to do that. I'm going to give two more bits of uh, action steps that I would love for all of our listeners to take. Number one, I want you to find out as much as you can about uh, the work of Applog. Go to our website. You can find out more about Dr. Christina Francis and the amazing work of the American Association of pro-life OBGYNs. And then I'm going to say this. If you are thinking about going into the medical profession, I would love for you to serve Christ that way. We often think about serving God and we think about that in the local church context. And that's one way to serve God. But man, what a great way to serve God and his purposes in the medical field. Become a pro-life OBGYN. It's worth it. You can save lives and you can be a blessing. Thank you, Dr. Francis.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Always a pleasure. Friends, go to our website, EquipRadio.org. And until we're together again next time, as always, remember, Equip with Chris Brooks is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.